and maybe six weeks ago when I started preparing this sermon, I I had no idea that uh, this be a Mission Sunday. I had no idea that I was going to be preaching on Mission Sunday, but it just shows you how the Lord works. Because I was going to I was going to go back into Matthew and start working through the Sermon on the Mount, and you know I'm just praying and. And reading the Bible, and the Lord just directed me to John chapter 4, and I just couldn't get away from it. I wanted to go preach through the Sermon on the Mount, but the, I just couldn't get my attention away from John chapter 4. And and honestly, the way things are shaping up, uh, I'm not sure how much longer my wife and I are going to be here in Dothan. Things are shaping up for us to be able to go to Bulgaria. And it's just the Lord working in miraculous ways. We got our son's passport within two weeks. If that's not affirmation of, of what God has called us to do, I don't know what it is because that could take 14 weeks to get to get that in for a new passport. Uh, God, is, God is working in that, and, and we're going. And, and if you would bear with me here tonight, this, this is a missions-related sermon, and, and I feel very strongly and very passionate about it. And honestly, I do have notes, but I'm not sure how much I'm going to stick to those. I have a, I always come up with a full manuscript because I'm scared I'm going to get off of it and, and say something that's, that's not biblically correct. But I feel that the, what the Lord is wanting to speak to us tonight is very biblical and it's, it's very true for, for us here in Dothan as well. Uh, John chapter 4, verse 35, it says there, Say not ye... There are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. And I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. So I want to preach on you for the the thought for the next little while. Look on the fields. Look on the fields. Why don't we pray one more time before we go any further. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for the presence that we feel in this place. We thank you, Lord God, for the liberty, Lord, and the freedom, God, that we have. We thank you for the spirit, Lord, that, that operates in our church, Lord, the gift of the spirit, Lord, that operates, Lord, within each and every one of us, Lord. But I pray tonight, Lord, that your word, Lord, would drive us, Lord, as, as saints, as people of the church, as spirit-filled believers, Lord, that there would be a zeal, Lord, and a passion on the inside of us, Lord, to to move, Lord, the the mission outside of these walls, Lord, to move the gospel outside of these walls into into a lost world, Lord, that is searching for something, Lord. I pray, God, that you would move us, Lord. Break our hearts, God, for what breaks yours here tonight, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Why don't we give a hand clap to the Lord again? We love you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, because you're faithful to us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, because you've given us authority, Lord. We thank you, Lord, because you've given us boldness, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated here tonight. You know, like always, got to make sure I set a timer. So I've got, it's 6.56. I've got 45 minutes. I'll try to stick to 45 minutes. Who knows if I go over or under. But the harvest, though. That's what that, that's that's the topic that is going to be preached on here tonight. But when a person is traveling, they know that that they are approaching a city by the increasing number of signs, billboards, houses, businesses, etc. Um, how many of you enjoy watching old home videos of yourself whenever you're four and five years old? Uh, my mom, she was notorious for always having a camcorder and cap- captured many many memories. My my nana, she takes pictures of everything that she sees. Uh, 
I'm sorry, Nana. I'm sorry, Mom. But it, it's true, though. It's true. She captures a lot of memories. And, and there's, there's times I was talking to my wife earlier. There's, there's uh, moments whenever um, there, there would be videos where, you know, Rebecca might be doing something. And there, there I am. I might be walking around in the background. Uh, hey, that's, so, that's a wall, right? The wall is white, right, Dad? And it's just crazy stuff like that. But I say that to say this, that there, there's a moment when I was maybe four or five years old, and, and we're going to Disney World, and it's, a, I guess, a, a very remembered moment in our family uh, that is captured on the camcorder, of course. And uh, we're, we're going to Disney World, and we, we get there to the sign that, uh, I, if I remember, it's Magic Kingdom. We get there to the sign where you're going to Magic Kingdom, and, and there I am in the back seat. You know, you hear Rebecca getting excited uh, we're, we're gonna go to Disney World, and then here I am back there. We're gonna make it, ain't we? There in that little, if you've known me for since birth, uh, you know that I, I talked slow as a kid, I talked very slow, and so it's kind of a funny moment. But in my little mind, though, in my little kid brain, that's a sign that there's a destination that we're trying to get to, and that, and that we're almost there, and similarly. We know the signs. We know the days that we're living in because of the signs that accompany it. And you see now more than any other generation that you see the roadside is cluttered with, with signs. With, 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 uh, it's cluttered with billboards. It's cluttered with signs telling us that we're living in the last days. And, and you see and you hear in the news every day that there's nations that are, that are opposing each other. There's the threat of nuclear warfare. There's the, the rise of globalism. There's there's all types of people that are confused and, and, and there's culture that is, that is flying in the face of the Christian church and you can see that the devil has visibly made himself manifest in popular culture and all this is telling us the signs that we're living in. And if there's ever a time for the church to rise up and to be bold about what we believe, the time is now. If there's ever a time for there to be laborers in the harvest, the time is now. If there was ever a time for a church in Dothan, Alabama, an apostolic believing church to rise up and say, we're going to declare the truth of Jesus Christ, the time is now. If there's a time for us to look on the fields, today is the day. We can't wait till tomorrow. The scripture says, you, you say that the harvest is in four months. You say that the harvest is going to take place four months from now, but Jesus is telling his disciples that there are people now that are, that are wanting to hear the truth. There are people now that they're being led away by deceit. They're being led away by false doctrines, but, but we have the truth, though, and we have to let them know. It's time for us to look on the fields. And so... The image that Jesus is painting of, of the harvest, it's a, it's a familiar image that you see in the New Testament, and it's often applied to the, to the ministry of lost souls. You find it in Matthew chapter 9, verse, verses 37 and 38. It says there, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You don't have to be a missionary. You don't have to be a, a licensed minister. All you have to do is walk outside of these doors and you're going to see sinners. You're going to see people who need the, the truth. You're going to see people and all you have to speak is Jesus to them. And I guarantee you there's a seed that can be planted there. 
Matthew chapter 13, you find the parable of the sower and you find the parable of the tares and of the wheat. And in Matthew chapter 13, verses 37 through 38, it says there that, that he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy is the one that sowed them. He's the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. It says the harvest is the end of the world. Matthew chapter 13, continuing in, in verse 40, it says that as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world that the Son of Man shall send forth angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Verse 43 then says, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is near, and this kingdom is, is that, uh, it's an exclusive kingdom. It's not one that, that tolerates sin. It's not one that tolerates iniquity, but it's one that's exclusive and that tolerates only the righteous. Revelations chapter 14, verses 14 and 15, and it says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another, angel, and another angel came out of the temple crying with a, a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap. For the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. I'm here telling you tonight that the harvest of the earth, earth is ripe, that the time has come. Jesus is getting ready to come back. There's lost souls that need to hear the, the truth of the gospel of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have it, church. We have it. And so we come to this place where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he tells them that the harvest is ready, that the field is white. He tells them to, to look up, lift up your eyes and look on the field. And, and, and so we, we see that before Jesus came preaching, John the Baptist came preaching this same message that Jesus was preparing the way. And, and you find that John the Baptist is preaching a message of repentance. Why? Because the, the kingdom of heaven is near. He's telling people such as the Pharisees and, and, and people that, that, uh, that are Jewish that, that you have to be baptized. You have to be baptized unto a baptism of repentance. But Jesus comes along and he says that, that there's going to be a day where there's going to be a spirit that's going to be poured out, that there's going to be more than a baptism of repentance, but there's going to be a baptism of the Holy Ghost, and you're going to be filled with fire. There's going to be living water that's going to flow out of your belly. Jesus said that this is the message that we have to show a lost and dying world. And so the statement that he makes to his disciples is that you say this harvest is in four months, but what I'm telling you is that it's now. I'm telling you now is the time to look up and put your eyes on the field. And so Jesus is coming. And you know what? I can't, I can't wait for that day that Jesus comes and he raptures us out of here. But, but I'm telling you what, just the thought that, that there's people that I pass by every day that, 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 that I don't speak to them. And if I don't speak to them, then there's no way that, that they can hear the truth. If I don't initiate a conversation with them, there's no way that they can, that they can see the truth of God's word. There's got to be something in me that says, I've got to reach them. I've got to talk to them. There's, I, I've got to say something to them because they're lost. They're lost. 
And so to, to, give, a little, to give a little context of, of our scripture here tonight, if you still have your Bibles open, John chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, you'll find that, that Jesus, it says in verse 1, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Those two words, must needs, it, 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 it means that there was an absolute necessity, that that is something that absolutely had to happen, that Jesus, for some reason, had to make his way through Samaria. And if you're familiar with, with um, geography, you you know that in biblical geography that don't go look at your maps right now. You can go look at the maps in the back of your Bible when you get home, and you can see that the you can see that the uh, closest, the the most convenient route from Judea to to Galilee would have been to go directly through the heart of Samaria through a town called Sychar, and, and and this is the route that Jesus had to take. But this isn't the route that most Jews would take, though most Jews they would they would. Uh, cross over the western bank of the Jordan River and they would come into uh, Perea and then they would cross back over the Jordan River to go into Galilee and that sounds like a long journey when all you had to do was just take a straight shot through Samaria. So why wouldn't they just go through Samaria? It's because they hated the Samaritans. They, they hated the Samaritans with a, with a passion. They didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans and, and you ask why, why is that? And so I'll have to tell you a, a little bit about the Samaritans. Is that if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll know that there were two kingdoms in Israel. There was the northern kingdom of Israel, and there was the southern kingdom of Judah. And so the place named Samaria, you'll find that it has a twofold sense. That the that the first sense would be would be the uh, city, the capital of the northern kingdom of of uh, of Israel, and and it would, be, it would be the capital there uh, from the time of its construction in the early 9th century B.C. to its conquest by the Assyrians in the late 8th century B.C. And the second sense that it would be used in is after the destruction of the city of Samaria that the name Samaria would be applied to, to that entire region, the, the larger district where the city was once situated at. And, uh, and that, the whole region would now be Samaria. And so the king of Assyria, he... He deported uh, many of the Jews. Matter of fact, most of the Jews were deported into Assyrian captivity. Uh, and then he would, the Assyrian king would bring in people that, that were from Babylon, Cuth, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim to, to replace the Jews that were, that were sent into captivity. But he also kept a few Jews there as well. And, and what you find in Scripture is that, that these Jews that were remaining, they would, they would uh, marry these Gentiles that, that came into the land, the, the people that the, that the Syrian king would import to replace those Jews. And, and it, would create a, it would create a half-breed, if you will, a, a religious half-breed of people that we know as the Samaritans. And why, why is it that uh, the Jews would hate these people? It seems that, uh, that, you know, that would, be, that would be wrong, but they would be considered unclean to the Jews at, at that time that, that were coming back from Babylonian captivity. And they would come back and they would find that there was a northern kingdom that was inhabited by these people called the Samaritans. And it's because that, that these people that were imported there, that they brought their false gods, they, they brought their cultures, they, they brought everything that they, that they had in their own lands. They brought the gods of their, 
their own lands, their idols, and they married the, the Jews that were dwelling there, creating this, like I said, a religious half-breed. This was something that was grossly look, looked down upon by those who were strict Jews. And by the time the people from Judah came back to Babylonian, from Babylonian captivity after 70 years to find that the northern kingdom, it was in shambles. It was, it was filled with unclean people, defiled people, people that they wouldn't even want to come in contact with. And so they hated them. They had a rivalry. Eventually, you find that the Samaritans, some of them would come to come to worship the God of, of Judah. They would come to worship, again, the true living God. But you find in the book of Nehemiah that, that these Samaritans, they wanted to help rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, but they were denied that by the Jews. And so, in, in retaliation, they tried to oppose the work of the building of the temple. Hence, you see people like Sanballat and, and Tobiah opposing, opposing the work of Nehemiah and then what the Samaritans do is they go build their own temple in Mount Gerizim in retaliation of that. And uh, in addition to that, they do away with every bit of the Torah. And they say it's not inspired scripture. The only thing that's inspired to them is the first five books of the Bible. And along with that, they kind of redo their own version of the Ten Commandments. And all of this stacked together thickening a rivalry between the Jews and the Samaritans. There was a, there was a hatred there. There was a, there was a strong uh, hatred. They, they couldn't even stand each other. They, they, the, the Jews hated it so much that they would travel miles out of the way just so they wouldn't even come in contact with a Samaritan. And in the words of Brother Raymond Woodward, speaking of the Samaritans, in so many ways they seem to be a lost generation they're perceived to be rebellious, but that's just their instinctive gut-level reaction against a world that's hurt them so deeply. They appear arrogant and aloof, but in reality, they're just feeling isolated and lonely. Sometimes they feel like strangers in their own country. They distrust those in charge because they live with the consequences of battles that were fought and lines that were drawn before, long before they were ever born. They have lots of hard questions. But nobody seems to have any good answers. They have valid concerns and they have passionate perspectives, but it seems like no one respects them enough to even try and understand them. And most hurtful of all, they, they try not to talk about any of this because they feel like their opinions don't even matter. And so they withdraw deeper and deeper into their own little world, which continues to perpetuate with all these negative stereotypes about their generation and it's common knowledge that they're not as religious as previous generations, but they would argue that they're more spiritual. But unfortunately, this spirituality is influenced more by culture than what it is by God. And so they, they piece together their own version of God, and they piece together their own version of, of the interpretation of his word, and they piece together their own take on worship. And they value tolerance over tradition they value actions, actions over words. They value options over rules. And most of all, they value authenticity over authority. They struggle with holiness. And the reason being is because they live in a world that's overran with ungodliness. And they would rather have the applause of their peers rather than the approval of their elders. Well, it's not really their fault, though. It's just their reality. It's the world that they live in. So they wait for a conversation and they wait for a connection and they, and they hope for that connection. But in reality, they're an untapped resource. They're an unharvested field that nobody really sees. They're an unreached generation. 
Some people say that these people, they're too apathetic. They're too atheistic. They're too sinful. They're too immoral. They're too hard to reach. But I'm telling you that God has always wanted these people to be a part of his kingdom. That's a, that was a Samaritan. God wanted these people a part of his kingdom so much that he wouldn't travel the, the, the most traveled road to go north into Galilee, that he would, he would take, he, he said, this a necessity that I must go into Samaria. It wasn't because that he was in a hurry. It wasn't because he wanted to do what was convenient. It's because Jesus had a divine appointment. He had a divine appointment with a woman that would come to a well in Sychar. He knew that she would be thirsty for something, but he knew that he had what she needed, living water. It's never convenient for us to go into hostile territory. I'll admit that. It's never convenient for us to have uh, uh, uncomfortable conversations with people who don't, who don't believe what we believe. But I'll tell you what, though, if we could only just set in our minds that we're, we're not going to try to take the long way around. We're not going to try to, try to uh, convenience ourselves to where we don't have to have a conversation with someone that doesn't agree with us, someone that doesn't look like us, someone who doesn't have the holiness standards that we have. But there's got to be something about it that we know and we realize that this is a lost world. We have to reach them. Sometimes all we have to do is just initiate a conversation. And so Jesus, he, he goes to Samaria, right smack dab in the middle of the region of Samaria. And on top of that, right smack dab in the middle of Sychar, which is in the middle of Samaria, where there's a well. And so you find here a story of the sower and the sinner. John chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, it says, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of the ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Verse 7 says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Jesus inconvenienced himself being a Jew, going into a place where he, where he knew he wasn't supposed to be, going into a place where most Jews wouldn't even dare enter, hostile territory, a place where, where even they were hated by Samaritans, and, and they hated each other. There was such a rivalry, but Jesus said, I'm going to come in here, and I'm going to initiate conversation with someone that I know I'm not supposed to be talking to, with someone that I know I have no business talking to. Uh, by the way, Jesus a Jewish teacher, a Jewish rabbi, not supposed to talk to a woman. A Jew, not supposed to be in Samaria at all. A, a, a Jew, not supposed to talk to someone that's unholy, someone that's lesser than him. There's more than, there's more than enough reasons why Jesus shouldn't even be initiating a conversation with this woman. She was unholy. She was, she was immoral. She had things going on in her lives, but Jesus said, I'm going to come in and I'm going to break through racial barriers. I'm going to come in. I'm going to break through every prejudice, every stereotype, and I'm going to initiate conversation with a woman, a Samaritan woman at that. And so he opens his mouth. Sometimes all we have to do is just open our mouth. We, we get so shy sometimes about what we believe. You know what? There's plenty of other people. There, there's people all over that are opening their mouth. They're proud of what they believe, and what they believe isn't true. But I'll tell you what, if we would just fall in love with the message, maybe we would fall in love with the mission. 
You know what? We're we're pushing, move the mission. There's a mission that has to be moved in this generation. And that if we would just open our mouth and if we would begin to speak Jesus into a generation of people that are confused, if we would just begin to speak Jesus into a generation that they don't know, their minds are deluded by things, by false doctrines, by false teachers, if we would just begin to speak Jesus. And so he tells this woman, give me something to drink. And then in verse 9, this woman says to him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask, asketh a drink of me? Why are you asking me for a drink? I'm a, I'm a woman of Samaria. I'm a woman. You're not supposed to talk to me. You're a rabbi. I'm a woman. You're not supposed to talk to me in public. Uh, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. She says, Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, understand what's being said here. It's, it's not just talking about business dealings. This is talking about Jews wouldn't even use the same type of tools and utensils as Samaritans. They, they wouldn't even use the same, uh, per se, name brand that a Samaritan would use. That was below them. They couldn't use that because they were better than Samaritans. They were more holy than Samaritans. The Jews, they were the ones that, they, they were the, the pure race. They were the, the pure children of Abraham. Samaritans were the half-breeds. They, they were the ones that, 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 that they, they, they backslid from the faith, but Jews in their minds stayed faithful to, to, what, to what the law said, but they were no better. Whenever you think about it, these Jews were no better than what a Samaritan was because they rejected the Messiah that was there preaching to them at that same time. Jesus was there preaching repentance, preaching that, that you have to turn away from your sins, preaching that, 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 that you can't live this way no more, that I've come now, I'm the Messiah. There's one that's greater than Moses that's come. There's one that's greater than Abraham that's come. There's one that's greater than Jacob that's come. And so this woman says, why are you asking me to give you something to drink? You're a Jew. You don't even use the same utensils as I do. And so Jesus answers her, if thou knowest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, give me something to drink, thou wouldst ask it of him, and he would have given you living water. If they only knew, if they only knew the, the gift of salvation, if they only knew who it was that was speaking to them, if they only knew what they needed, you know what, the, the people in this world, they keep running back and forth to wells that, that, that it's never going to quench a thirst it's never going to quench what they're thirsty for. They have a hunger inside of them. They don't know what they need, but if they only knew, if they only knew. And so there's indifferent sinners that are in this world that, that we have to speak to. And, and it may be inconvenient for us. It, it may be a little agitating for us to talk to them. You may have to talk to your blue in the face. They may not understand. You know what? Sometimes we live in this false pretense that, that everybody knows who Jesus is, that everybody understands, and everybody's read the book of Acts, but the fact of the matter is that they haven't, though. Everybody doesn't know what we know. Everybody doesn't believe what we believe. Everybody doesn't even know who Jesus is. But yet, if a saint can walk out, and if we can get outside of the walls of this church, and if we can take the message outside of this church that's preached every Sunday, every Wednesday, to a lost and dying world, then maybe, just maybe, they can touch Jesus. Maybe they can have that living water. So there's indifferent sinners. But you also find in this passage an example of an ignorant sinner. John chapter 4, 
And we're in verse 11. Now the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. For whence hast, hast thou living water? Verse 12 says, Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? She says, are, well, you don't even have a bucket. How are you going to draw living water? You don't have this well that's too deep. Where are you going to get living water from? Maybe she didn't understand what he was talking about. Maybe she thought living water was some type of, some type of flowing water from a river. Like she's, you, are you fixing to walk somewhere and you're fixing to draw water from somewhere else? Because I know good and well you don't have a bucket and you don't have a way to draw water out of this well, which, by the way, Jacob our Father left for us here. Are you saying that you're better than Jacob? Are you saying that you're better than the patriarchs? And, and, and watch Jesus' response here in verses 13 and 14. It says, Jesus answered and said, Whosoever drinketh this water shall never thirst again. I'm sorry, I think I got a little bit out of order there. Um, I'm getting there, you guys. Bear with me. She says, Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and, and his children and his cattle? And Jesus answered unto her, Whosoever drinketh this water shall never thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give, he shall never thirst. But the water that I give him shall be in him a well of water that is springing up in the everlasting life. He's saying to her, yes, I'm better than your father Jacob because I was before Jacob. Yes, I'm better than the patriarchs because I was before the patriarchs. Yes, I'm better than them because I am that I am, that I am Jesus, I am the Messiah, that I'm the one who came to draw all men unto me. I'm the one who came to bring sinners to repentance. He said, I didn't come for the righteous, but I came to bring sinners to repentance. Jesus said, yes, I am. I'm better. I'm better than Jacob. Yes, I have water that's better than what Jacob had to offer. I know that he left you a well. I know that he left you a way to sustain yourself, but this is only fleshly water. But I have something. I have something that can sustain you. It can give you eternal life. I have something that, that's better than this well. I have something that can quench your thirst forever. And so she not really still not really understanding what in the world Jesus is talking about. She, uh, she kind of diverts the conversation. And in verse 15, the woman says unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And some people look at that scripture and they say she, she really wanted this living water. Yes, she wanted the living water, but she wanted it for the wrong reason, though. She was tired of carrying that bucket she was tired of, of having to go to this well at an odd time at the sixth hour of the day, and we're going to get to that. But she was, she was tired of having to do the chore of carrying this bucket full of water and filling it day in and day out to sustain her own self. She says, you know what? It sounds good. I want some living water. I'm tired of coming to this well. I'm tired of making the long walk at odd hours of the day just so people won't notice me. I'm tired of having to come to this well. And she's thinking of a, a fleshly gain. She's thinking of a, a, of a reason why she doesn't, have to, she doesn't have to go to the well anymore. But Jesus says unto her, why don't you go call your husband? Tell him to come here. I, I want to talk to him. And verse 17 says, the woman answered and said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said unto her, yeah, you've told the truth all right. You don't have a husband, but you have five husbands. And the one that you're staying with now, the one that you're living with now, 
He's not your husband. You're in an illegitimate relationship. He said, yeah, you've told the truth, Samaritan woman. You've told, you've told the truth. And here we find an indifferent sinner, an ignorant sinner, and a dirty sinner. A dirty sinner. There's plenty of dirty sinners out there today. There's people that are confused. There's people that are gender confused. There's people that, that they're not in their right minds. And, and here we are, we're looking for the clean sinners that are going to make good-looking Pentecostals. We, we look for the doctors and for the lawyers and for the people that, that hey, I, I see them. They look nice. I want to go talk to them. And yet there's sinners on the side of the road. There's homeless people on the side of the road. And I'm not saying to stop and always give them a ride, you know, or, 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 or I'm just saying Sometimes it does a lot of good to just open up your mouth and begin to talk to them. Open up your mouth and talk to them. And I'm sorry for the personal reference, but I just thought about it maybe about a week ago whenever I was uh, trying to prepare this, prepare this sermon. And about a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago, I was still working for Coca-Cola, and they were sending me to Mariana. And uh, I had to stop and get gas at the uh, at the marathon station on the intersection of uh, of two thirty one South, and I stop there and I get gas and and there's a there, there's a person out there and uh, they 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 didn't look clean at all. They looked very unsanitary, and here they come. They come walking up to me, and I'm sitting here thinking, dear Lord, please don't let this please don't let this person uh, walk up to me. And here they come. I'm like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. This is what I wanted at 3.30 in the morning. And uh, here, here we go. Uh, they come walking up to me, and you understand, they're asking, they're asking for money. And at that point in time, I really didn't have anything to, to share with anybody. I had some crackers in my truck, you know, <laughs> gave them a pack of crackers. But I really didn't have much money to share with anybody at the time. But I got to thinking, though, as that woman's asking for money, Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, they, they came across the, a beggar at the, at the gate of the temple, and he's sitting there asking for alms, and, and they said, silver and gold, I don't have silver and gold, but I have something that, that, that you need. You don't know that you need it, but I have something, and I have something that can save you. I have something that can heal you. I have something that can bring you out of depression. I have something that can kill suicidal thoughts. I have something that can bring you out of offended natures, out, out of pride, out of selfishness, out of any struggle. I have something better than what you have. I have living water. And so... Lord, I, I didn't know what else to do. I was still thanking God that this, that this, it was a lady. I was still thanking God that this lady walked up to me. But I told her, lady, I don't really have anything to give you but this pack of uh, cheese crackers. So here you go. If you're hungry, you can have this. <laughs> and she had a bottle of water. And, and um, I said, she began to walk off and she was sad. And, and I, I, I just started, you know, feeling, feeling the burden. Had, I'm, I'm asking myself, how can I walk away from this situation and and feel like I feel like I did the Lord's will? This woman's walking off. I call her back over there. I didn't give her money, but I just told her. I said, you know something. There, there's a God that loves you, no matter what state of life that you're in. There's a there's a God that cares about you. And she asked she 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 asked what church I go to. I told her. She said, and just to just to give. You, Brother Harrelson, a little comfort about how far this church has gone. 
uh, we're, we're now, we're, we're now the, the nice building that's on Coderry Road. We're no longer the church that's beside Screamer's Tattoos. That ought to encourage you. We've come a long way. That's how this lady knew us, the, the, the new church, the new nice church that's on Coderry Road. And I said, yes, ma'am, that's, that's where I go. You're welcome to come visit us anytime. And, and she says, she asked for my name, and I told her, she said, Jonathan, do you mind praying for me? I said, yes, ma'am, I'll pray for you. I'll, I'll, I'll pray for you. I don't remember what I prayed for. I was still, like I said, thanking, thanking the Lord above that I had to deal with somebody that inconvenienced me a little bit, that may have agitated me a little bit. But I'm telling you what, though, it's not always going to be sunshine and roses whenever you look on the fields. There's going to be dirty sinners out there. There's going to be people that, that, that you're going to get a little bit of dirt under your nails. You're going to have to go, and you're going to have to walk in the places that you wouldn't ordinarily walk into. You're going to have to talk to people that you wouldn't ordinarily talk to. There's going to be times where you might get a little aggravated at people, but you know what? We're not going to be ugly to them. We're not going to be condescending to them. And if they walk into the doors of this church, we're going to say, Lord, bless you. Lord, keep you. Lord, fill you with the Holy Ghost. We want to baptize you. We want you to be saved. What they don't know is that they don't need a, they don't, necessarily need a roof over their head. They don't necessarily need food in their bodies. They need these things to sustain their flesh, but there's something far more important. There's something that's far more valuable than the sustenance of the flesh, and that's the sustenance of the Spirit. And what we have is a message that brings living water. And so there's dirty sinners and different sinners, ignorant sinners, but watch how this woman once again deflects this conversation that Jesus is having with her. He says, you've had five husbands. You, you Samaritan woman, the, the one that you're living with now, that's not even your husband. And the reason why she's coming to the well at this odd hour, the reason why she wants some type of living water where she'll never thirst again is so people don't have to look at her look at her weird anymore, so people don't have to look at her in a judgmental way anymore. She wants, she wants something that can, that can keep her from going out in the public where people are going to see her, where people are going to judge her, because I imagine this woman had a bad reputation. I imagine that people knew the type of lifestyle that she lived. I imagine that people knew who exactly she was, so she doesn't want to go to this well anymore. Matter of fact, she does everything she can to avoid going to the well when the rest of the women are there everything possible to avoid it, even asking a miss for some type of living water. So verse 19, this woman says in the hymn, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Do you see what's taking place here where sin is confronted with reality, where immorality is confronted with, with truth? And that there's a deflection in the conversation because somehow it becomes uncomfortable for her that she's convicted about the way that she's living. Isn't, isn't that the goal of outreach is that there's a turning away from sin, that there's a regeneration that takes place because of the word, that there's something that takes place in the, in the life of a sinner whenever they hear someone that's filled with the Spirit begin to speak Jesus into their, into their ears. There's a seed that's planted there. And so... Jesus says to her, in verse 21, it says, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem. And notice how she deflected. I'm going to 
rewind a little bit. She deflected the conversation because she was uncomfortable. So she says, well, I perceive you're a prophet, so answer me this question since we're discussing what's right and what's wrong, what's holy and what's unholy. And oftentimes we, uh, whenever we talk about truth, people have their own take on what the truth is. And, and whenever they perceive that you're a Christian, well, tell me, tell me since you're a, a, a spirit-filled Christian and we're discussing what's right and what's wrong, why don't you tell me this and tell me that and explain to me this and explain to me that. And so watch how Jesus responds to that Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither worship in this mountain nor at Jerusalem, but uh, you're, you, you worship, you know not what. But we do know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Verse 23 says, For the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Verse 24 says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What Jesus is saying here is that, 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 that the truth and the spirit go hand in hand, and that whenever there's an infilling of the spirit, and that whenever a spirit-filled believer begins to speak the truth to a sinner, that there's a word that whenever we speak it, that the divides the heart of the uh, of the sinner, it divides the heart of whoever's hearing it, that this is a word that can cut through the joints and through the marrow and it can discern the thoughts and then the intents of the heart. And so Jesus, what he's saying, it, it cuts deep to the heart. It cuts deep to the heart of this sinner. And he says, I'm telling you, it's not about the well. It's not about the heritage. It's not about whether you say that the first five books of the Bible it is, but it, it, it's not it's not all about the, uh, the, the interpretation of it all. Uh, Jesus is saying we've got bigger fish to fry than this. We've got bigger things to worry about than this. We're worried about the condition of your soul. I'm looking for someone who's going who's gonna to worship me, who's going to worship me in spirit, who's going to worship me in truth and in reality. And so the woman says in the hymn, well, I know that the Messiah is coming one day, which is called the Christ. And when he comes, he's, he'll, he'll tell us all things. People say, you know what, what there's, there's multiple ways to heaven. We don't agree with that at all. There's only one way to heaven. But people will say there, there's a different way for Pentecostals. There's a different way for Methodists. There's a different way for, for Catholics and, and, and whatnot. And, and they say, you know what, we're going to find out the truth of the matter when we all get there together and we're all going to be worshiping Jesus before the throne. And, and I hate to tell them the bad news, but if they're not bought by the blood, if, they don't, if, they don't, if they're not filled with the Spirit, if they're not like Nicodemus, if you're not born of the water and of the Spirit, there's no way you can enter in. Oh, there's some Nicodemuses out there that, that are saying, how in the world can you be born again? How in the world can you give me living water? There's Samaritan women out there. There's Nicodemuses out there that they're looking for the truth. And so this woman says, well, he's coming one day. No, but Jesus says, I that speak unto thee am he. He says, I am that I am. I am the one that's, I am the Messiah. I'm the one that's speaking to you. And he's telling that Samaritan woman, I went out of my way just to have a conversation with you. I went out of my way just to have a, a conversation with, with you. I know I wasn't supposed to. I know it was an inconvenience to both of us. But here it is. I am the Messiah, and I've come to, I've come to save you. And you find that. His disciples begin to come back, and, and they don't say anything, but you know what they're thinking. 
that his disciples are there. It says that that they marvel and they and they they're they're just kind of they're just kind of um, surprised that Jesus is talking to this woman, and they don't say anything. And then here they are, they're trying to give Jesus something to eat, and and uh, Jesus says that I I I've already had something to eat. I've already been satisfied because there there's a woman. You know what? You went into the city. You didn't evangelize anybody. I sent you into the city, but you didn't speak the gospel to anybody. And here I am. I waited at this well for this woman at an odd hour of the day. I knew she was going to come, and I knew that she was going to accept this message, and I knew that she was going to go back into the village and that she was going to tell the, the other Samaritans in this village the truth. And she says to the people in, the, in this Samaritan village, why don't you come hear a man that claims that he's the Messiah? Why don't you come hear a man that, that says that he's come to save us? Why don't you come hear a man who has a message of hope, who has a message of salvation, who has a message that we need? And so we come back to our text. Jesus says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. So it's time to look on the fields. It's, it, it's time. The, 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 end of the, the, the end is coming. It's time. So Jesus says, we don't have time to wait. Look at these Samaritans that believe. He paints the picture there of a field of dirty, ignorant sinners. And he says, the, the, these are the people that, that, we're going to be, that we're going to be preaching to now. You, you go to, you, you, you read, and we're all familiar, Acts 1 and 8, the first, the first chapter, they're, they're asking Jesus, when are you going to restore again the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the, the time or the season which the Father is placed in his own power. And then he says, I want you to wait for a promise that's going to come. I'm going to fill you with the Holy Ghost. He says, for John truly baptized with water, but I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And then he said, but after that, you're going to receive power and the Holy Ghost is going to, going to come upon you and you're going to be witnesses of me both in Judea and in Jerusalem, and in Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the earth. He said, this isn't just for the regions that are in and around Judea and Jerusalem, but this is for the whole world to know. This is for everybody to know. And so you fast forward, Acts chapter 8, verse 5. It says there, this is maybe five years after Jesus steps foot, five to eight years after Jesus steps foot in Samaria. And this is after a, a, a big historical event takes place, the martyrdom of Stephen, which probably did more for the Great Commission than any other event that may have taken place at that time period. And it impacts this man named Philip in such a way because he has to, he has to flee persecution. All these apostles, all these believers, they have to flee persecution. Acts 8 and 5 says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. And what did he do? He preached Christ unto them. Well, we look on the fields. We see the people. But what are we going to do, though? What are we going to do? I'm telling you tonight that it's plain and simple. It was plain and simple for Philip. Philip wasn't even an apostle. He wasn't a preacher. He was, 
just basically someone that would deliver meals to the, to the widows at the time, but he had to disperse out of his place of comfort because of persecution. But what did he do? He preached Christ unto them. That tells me that there was a love there was a love for people, and Philip Philip wanted to see people reached. He wanted to see people filled. And can you imagine being a Samaritan? Maybe you experienced Jesus. Maybe you were part of the crowd that, that saw Jesus in Samaria five to eight years before, and you're saying, Philip, where have you been at with this message? Where have you been at with this message of hope that we've been needing to hear? Where have you been at with this message of salvation? There's people in the world today that are saying, Jonathan Butler, where have you been at with this message? Why haven't you been telling me up to this point? There's a message of hope. There's a message of deliverance. There's a message of salvation that we have to, that we have to give. Now I'm coming to a close. My, my timer is blinking at me. Uh, Sister uh, Emily, or musicians, singers, uh, y'all can be preparing to come. This afternoon when I was studying, and I wasn't even going to use another personal reference, but I guess I will now since this event is still kind of fresh on my mind. that We uh, know that my granddad, Brother Robert Redden, he passed away back in March. And I, I still have his obituary hanging you know, on a on a picture frame on the corner of my uh, of my desk in my office, and I was looking at that. You know, I have a few. I have a couple pictures. Have a picture of my wife and I. Uh, me and my wife and Noah. I've still got to get a picture of Carolina on there, um, but that's coming though. But there, there's a reason why why I have those pictures there. And it's because whenever I'm, I'm getting into the, the Word of God, and when I look at those pictures, I see that, that I have a family that I have a family that has to be saved. I have a family that depends on the, that, that has to depend on the, a godly leader in the home, a, a man that's going to be praying in the home, a man that's going to give himself to prayer in the ministry of the Word. And I have my granddad's picture on the other corner, and I can still hear his voice echoing in my head over here in the altar putting his arm around me. JB, he called me JB. Preach the word and reach the lost. Do what God's called you to do. The last important thing that he said to me, I know he said a lot of crazy things. That's why I say the last really important thing that he said to me. Jonathan, preach the gospel. We got to preach Jesus. You don't have to be licensed to preach Jesus to a community of unbelievers. You don't have to be called an apostle or, or a prophet. We're called to make disciples. There's a mission. There's a mission that has to be moved outside of these walls. There, it's Mission Sunday. It's fitting that this, that this message is, is being preached and that has been preached to me the past six weeks because, oh, boy, I was convicted. I was convicted because I just sitting here studying this passage there's been times where I've just let people pass by there's been times where I've took the long road around just so I could avoid someone that I just looked at them and I just knew I just knew the type of person they were I can't I can't understand why I can't understand why as a Christian I would feel that way I can't understand why as a, as a spirit-filled believer, why, why I would have the gall to think that I'm any better than what they were because I was once in their shoes. I was born in sin. I was shaking in, shaping in iniquity. But there was a man named Jesus. 
There was a man named Jesus. He, he was before Abraham. He was before Isaac. He had a plan before time. He knew that Jonathan Butler was going to need saved. He knew that Samuel Stark was going to need saved. He knew that, that uh, Justin Harrelson was going to need the blood of Jesus. He knew we all would need the blood of Jesus to cover our lives. It's not just for us, though. I wasn't saved just so I could stay right here where I'm at and be comfortable right here where I'm at and just let the blood cover me and mine. But it's for, it's for all nations. He said, I, I come to draw all men unto me. Oh, if there wasn't a man named Joe Patterson who, who came down and he, he worked at Fort Rucker, and this was, this since anniversary services just took place last week, if there wasn't a man named Joe Patterson who, who was persistent with Robert Redden, I wouldn't even be here. If there, I knew it was aggravating, Brother Patterson. You had scheduled appointments with him, and he did whatever he could to blow you off. He did whatever he could. And if that was the same Robert Redden uh, then that, that, I, that I knew for 29 years, he was, hard to, he was a hard man to deal with, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, um, Brother Patterson scheduled Bible studies with him and my him and my nana, and he would go and he'd get to the house, and nana would be there, but Granddad would just be off somewhere else. And it just so happened that nana told him that he was at the bar. Granddad's at the bar, and I'm not telling you to go to the bar and wait for someone and go in there and drink a Coca-Cola and talk to them. I'm not telling you to do that. There's a there's a context to this story. Brother Patterson had a specific purpose in walking into that bar because there was a man named Robert Redden who he was trying to reach, and he was trying his best to pull him out of a lifestyle of sin. But you know what? There's people just like Robert Redden. There's people just like that, that they're going back to the wells of alcohol, and they're drinking until they can't drink anymore. They're drinking until until the, it just comes gushing back out of them. There's people that are going back to the wells of drugs and, and substance abuse, and, and they're, they just keep taking the pills and taking the drugs until their minds have just gone out of this world and they don't even know who they are. There's people that are confused about their identities and, and, and they just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper trying to fill a void that nothing in this world can fill. But there's living water though. This isn't the last time that Jesus mentioned living water to a person you find chapters later at the Feast of Tabernacles that Jesus said, out of your bellies, it's going to flow rivers of living water. It's going to be gushing out of you. There's a message of hope. There's a message of salvation. If you're bound in sin, there's a God who can save you if you need healing. There's a God who can heal you. Why don't we all stand tonight? I've gone over time. Why don't we all bow our heads I know each one of us has a has someone on our minds. Someone that's lost, a lost family member, backsliders. Why don't we just get a hold of that image tonight? And you think about that person and you begin to pray, Lord, draw them in. Lord, put people in my path. Oh, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that God directs our steps and that he puts people in our paths. But it's up to us to show the love of Jesus. 
Oh, Lord, I pray, God, that you would break us, Lord. Oh, Lord, I know, God, that's not a popular prayer to pray. Oh, Lord, that's a painful prayer to pray. But break our hearts, Lord, for what breaks yours. Show us, Lord. Show us the way, God, that you see the lost. Show us, Lord, the way, God, that you see unrepentant sinners, Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray, God, that we would feel, Lord, the passion, the fire, and the zeal, Lord, God. Oh, Lord, that you would give us, God, the boldness, Lord, to speak to people, Lord. God, that you would give us the boldness, Lord, that even when we feel the least bit intimidated, Lord, by someone who isn't interested, God, that we would speak to them something, God, that they don't know that they're thirsty for, Lord, because we know, God, that you're the source. You're the source of the well. You're the source of living water. Oh, Lord, I pray, God, that you would touch our hearts tonight, Lord. Challenge us, Lord. Challenge us, God, to do something for your kingdom, Lord. Challenge us, Lord, to look on the fields, Lord, and be laborers, Lord, in this end-time harvest. Oh, these altars are open here tonight.